Welcome, everyone. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Chief Yuya here. And, um, of course, you are listening to the Chief Yuya podcast. And, of course, you know that because I always say, and, of course, you're listening to the Chief Yuya podcast. <laughs> so, um, I guess I got some branding going on unintentionally. But, either way, I, I trust that you all have had um, a beautiful day and um, I think probably a lot of you will probably catch this in the dawning and, uh, you, you're here with us again, you know, in, in the physical realm and, um, ready to make things happen, you know? So yeah, this, this, uh, segment is, is coming through pretty late. Um, in all truth, I know last strong was also late. That was, you know, kind of for a different reason, but I really got caught up in, um, some of my studying that I was doing and some other work that I got done. And I was feeling really good about getting things done. <laughs> I was on a little bit of a high, some, some major tasks that I needed to knock out. I was able to knock out and, um, I was like, man, let me just, you know, let me grab this too. Let me do that. You know, I was kind of on a streak and then, um, someone sent me, a message and an email actually about appearing on their podcast as a guest. <laughs> and right in that moment, I realized ah, I didn't do my podcast. <laughs> so here we are, you know, and, um, I thought what I would do, I would do something a little different. Um, I'm going to bring you into what I'm doing. Right. So in, in a way, right. You know, it's just interesting. I was kind of thinking about how, how much work goes into sometimes, um, I guess what we could call a, a very small ROI or a very small return on our investment. And, and I'm specifically speaking about, you know, in studying. Sometimes you're studying and you're, you're cross checking, you're doing all kind of comparative research and, uh, through that process, you're maybe looking for just one or two words, you know, or you're, you're trying to corroborate, you know, one or two small historical realities that maybe you've seen in one place and haven't seen in another and, and you're looking for it and you're trying to find how to reproduce a, maybe a more contemporary construction of something that's, you know, uh, been diminished you know, in the past or, uh, something that's perceived as, as being, um, perpetually undeveloped in thought and you're trying to bring it back forth. And, you know, you may go through eight or nine different sources to try to find one word. Like, no, they said it here. They said it here. They said it here. They said it here. And, you know, sometimes that, that study and stuff, it, it can, it can feel like an alien sort of um, methodology in terms of what we're typically taught by the West and how to identify problems and how to go through our our understandings or, or our schooling and our training. You know, so I was thinking about that early and I was I was doing some study and, you know, um, kind of got off into that a bit, like I said. Um, and I said, you know what, that's what I'm going to do for this particular podcast is kind of bring you into that world a little bit, because I think it's very valuable. You know, sometimes I, 
listen to people, you know, like you can, <laughs> you can tell people who study from people who don't study. Right. And study isn't just, I read a Wikipedia article or, or I listened to you chief, you know, or I sat and thought about an idea or I talked to one or two people and they told me this, you know, um, that's a common one I get from people sometimes and they stand so strong on that. You know, you may say something about a, about a particular region or a particular group of people is say, if you say something about the black church and someone will say, well, you know, I've, I've talked to a lot of people who go to church, you know, a lot of people in the black church and they've told me this. And sometimes they don't realize that that, that sort of information isn't, or that's that soma, that, that, that form of, um, uh, testing of, of a hypothesis is, is, illegitimate you know it's 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 an inferior way to go about your actual study and immersing yourself inside of a an environment where you can actually learn something you know so i see a lot of that perpetuated and some of that comes from um well some of the thinking from the black church you know some of it it does come from that just that that uh unfortunate Irony, you know, where the ma'afa or what we can also call not just the, the ma'afa or the transatlantic slave trade, but we can also call it an, an um, a Kibalonic or an African spiritual holocaust because it destroyed um, the concept of so many traditional systems, you know, um, and created this North American kind of standing as it as it relates to spirituality and put people inside of a repressive Protestant American Christian environment that was really created inside of a vacuum, uh, among enslaved people, you know, and then that vacuum was filled with Christianity, you know, the thing that created it. It's, it's such an interesting and sad sort of cycle. And, and there are some who have, um, Attempted to escape and, and combat that, that sort of supremacist construction of blackness and to see it for what it really is. And there are some who've just sort of kind of given into it and just really don't see the value of what that deconstruction could, could accomplish, you know, or that war really against that could accomplish because they see converting to these other belief systems devoid of knowledge as be something that's ultimately virtuous. You know, it's, it's ultimately, um, an innocent and it's a beautiful sort of experience to regain the basic characteristics, uh, that were lost by a deprived or depraved, excuse me, uh, human condition, you know, so some of the thinking, you know, will, will come from that you know, way of thinking, um, or that, that sort of, of mindset, you know, so there's, there's so many unfortunate angles of that, that level of, of construction and then the necessary deconstruction to that mindset, you know, in, in the minds of some melanin rich people, there's still this thought that they were brought from a, from the land of, of heathenism, 
you know, and heathen, heathenism and, and, and idolatry and being put into this space, you know, where, um, now that they have an op- opportunity to reconstruct themselves and, you know, almost as if the enslavement is, is a, a blessed racialization, uh, or re-racialization, you know, um, it now, like I said, on both sides of it, you have also the enslavers who were taught that it's their duty to now instruct these folks, you know, on how to be um, great Christians because they were um, being that they were brought as slaves and not people. Um, but within the providence of God, then um, those good whites would be constituted as masters as supervisors and it was it was up to them you know to understand that all laws in relation to um society and and um civics and religious were framed by them and they were to put these people under their control um not only for their exclusive benefit but also for the benefit of the enslaved so there are some people who um who come from that mindset on both sides and still hold on to that. You know, this person has brought us here and we remained as long as it was necessary to learn that, to learn who God really is. You know, (laughs) there are people who still uh, imagine that as, as being correct. So there's, there's an effect of, uh, or or interracial, uh, interrelationship, excuse me, um, of Christianization and racialization and the spirits of melanin rich people. And, um, it's sort of a universal condemnation that that's within. So, you know, sometimes that thought comes from that thinking, you know, of, uh, relying more on feelings and belief as opposed to what's solid. You know, I was speaking to, someone earlier today about uh, school there looking at different schools that they want to go to. And I shared something with them and uh, I think it helped. I mean, based on what they were saying. And I said, you know, because the generation that you come from, unfortunately you're what you're looking for and selecting for in schools is based upon your general, your, your generation's, um, ideology and like you want to, like they were saying, if I don't get into a top school, then I feel like I've, I completely failed and I got to get into a top school, you know, or, or I, I'll see myself as a complete failure. And I was saying, you know, if you look at the majority of people, uh, in the U S uh, who are millionaires, this is a statistic. They didn't go to elite schools, you know, so most of them went to to schools that were actually obscure, you know, so I had shared that with them. And I said, you know, the idea, I said, first thing you got to remember that a school is just a business. <laughs> it's a business. If it really had any sort of righteous and I'm speaking about, you know, colleges and universities, if it really had any or they had really any sort of righteous mission, they would give you refunds. They They don't offer refunds. 
You know, what kind of business does not offer refunds if the product is not what you promised it to be? And so many people go through school finding out this is not what the recruiter told me, but you can't get a refund. All right. So I shared with them, I said, because your generation is a generation of fame, <laughs> you know, like people got to know me. I have this many followers. I get this many likes. I get this. I get that. You know, um, you have that same thought when it comes to schools or even like devices like your phone. Like I got to have an iPhone. Why? Because I need a good phone. Well, how do you know the iPhone's a good phone? It's, uh, I don't know. <laughs> but that's what they say. That's what you get. You get an iPhone, you know. But it's the same thing with schools. I got to go to Yale. I got to go to Dartmouth. I got to go to to Harvard. I, you know, I have to go to these these top tier schools or I failed. And and the truth is that um, schools never bring prestige to a person. It doesn't work that way. You know, a person has to bring prestige to themselves you can go to any you can go anywhere it's it's not about what the school does for you it's about what you what you make the school do for you you know that's the key what you make it do for you if you go to a school and there's 300 staff members then you put 300 people to work for you for what it is that you want to do you know and this is just for anybody listening who's going to school or whatever, thinking about it, you know, um, you put those people to work because they're all a part of the Ponzi scheme. So, you know, when there's internship opportunities or there's research project opportunities, and you put those people to work, you know, and that's how you bring prestige to yourself. So you look a certain way on paper and you, because you're, you're in those environments just to learn a bunch of theory, but you you don't really get too many opportunities to, Apply. That's why so many people will run to school when maybe they lose a job or something like that because they're trying to escape reality. You know, when there's an opportunity to apply and make things real, they go, oh, I'm going to go back to school. I'm going to go get another degree. And nine times out of ten, you're going to get another youth useless degree, you know. And again, remembering that it's a business. So they they do sell useless degrees. You know, and some people will say, well, no degrees, useless. Yeah, some are. Or some shouldn't be the same cost as others. A degree in psychology shouldn't cost the same as a degree in business or finance or even accounting. And most people who have undergrads in psychology, they understand, they know. They come out like, man, I can't, I can't find a job. Yeah, because there's an overabundance of um people who come out with psychology majors. Everybody wants to major in psychology. And usually they pass psychology and sociology to um athletes. You know, it's they're oftentimes the classes are easier to pass because the information is more accessible. You know, you talk about a particular thing and you can relate it to yourself immediately or something you've experienced or whatever, so it becomes a bit easier than if you're taking a classes in computer science or, or chemistry, you know something that forces you to, to go outside of yourself, right? You know, but STEM degrees shouldn't cost the same as some of these useless liberal arts degrees, right? Yeah, and, and I know people will take that a certain way, but that's, again, when you're when you're invested and connected to something that you didn't really develop, you know, um, or develop the, the classification or ideology of it, 
uh, that's something that you might need to look at because sometimes that's your juxtapos- juxtaposition between your racialization and sometimes your slave mind, you know. So that was something that would, that I spoke about with them earlier today, and they're like, "That makes a lot of sense." I was like, "Yeah, get busy now. Like you don't you don't need a degree to get busy, and whatever it is that you, in in any field." There's so many opportunities. It may not be at the level that you want to do whatever you want to do at, but even when you come out with your degree, you're not going to do it at the level you want to do it at. And so, you know, you bring prestige to yourself through how you get busy and how you hustle. You know, I mean, we have overabundance of certain fields teaching. And um, I think for what is it for for every person that comes out with a teaching degree, there are four people who come out with a psychology degree. And you think about that. So where do all these people go? You know, if you just think about what society could handle, you know? So just something, you know, for those who may be getting ready to, to go through that. But like I said, so there's, there's a lot of study sometimes that has to happen. And like I said, you, you might study and you just end up with this one thing. You know, you may be studying studying the significance of the harmonious interaction between the Akan people. Let's say, just for instance, you know, you're studying Akan um, and and anther, anthropomorphic figures, and um, the relationship between that and maybe um, I don't know their how they how they feel fulfilled as a human being. You know. And you might just be looking for, you might look through five or six different books for one word. I'm looking for, um, Mogya. Mogya. I need to find that. Mogya. That, you know, there's certain words that are, um, or certain entities that are significant to, you know, a con, um, you know, just a con cosmology. You'll have, you'll see Kra. You'll see Mokya, you'll see Inturo, and you'll see um, Sunsum, you know, Abusum as well, but Sunsum. These in throughout Akan culture. And you might just be looking and looking and looking and looking like, I need to find one of these words and maybe have a way to connect it to the Mende people or the, the Bakongo or the Igbo or, you know, <laughs> and you might read seven different books and it may take you all over and, I need to understand this Gold Coast thing in order to get this one particular thing based on this theology that's representative in West Africa or a worldview of spirituality that I'm seeking to understand or establish and trying to kind of transcend ethnic and religious distinctions that may be kind of specified, specified in different works. You know, trying to put it together. So that's always um, a difficult thing sometimes um, for people sometimes to understand the amount of work that may go in to get the little things that you get. You know, it's that, that ROI, that, that return on investment and what that really looks like sometimes. So I know those are, you know, maybe even far out. Um Examples of how a theologian, a real theologian, um, is seeking to understand certain things now that they have the privilege of, of 
touching the sources of certain information. You know, we didn't always have such privileges, you know. So those are just, you know, small examples of how we may approach or how may we, how we may respond to certain things and how we may sort of uh, seek to develop a better mind. And, you know, I, I, I thought what I would, I would do this evening is, is share, well, evening or dawning or midday, whenever you listening, but, uh, would share just some of, some of the foundational works that, um, I utilized years ago. They're all pretty much old, but, <laughs> you know, um, old to me, maybe new to you, you know, if you've never read them or never heard them, then, you know, it's like brand new stuff. You know, when, when things are, are crafted, right. You know, when intellectual art and, and projects are crafted in a correct way, they're timeless, you know? So, um, where, whenever you get them, it's, it's, it's the right time. But, you know, I was, um, just looking through some of my, my, um, boxes basically <laughs> you know these days i don't i don't really display uh my books as much as i need as i used to need to i don't really need to reach for them pretty much everything that i i have physically i've gotten digitally and um some stuff you know i have some rare books and those i i um those are usually ones i might sit out but i don't find myself needing to go to anybody's book um, nearly as much as I used to maybe 20 years ago, you know, so after a while, um, yeah, you, you ingest enough of it and you apply enough of it, then you, you quietly and secretly become an expert in these subjects, you know, no different than, you know, if someone goes to school again, someone goes to school for something and then after school, you know, they study this particular thing. It, it could be social science. You know, they go to school for social science and then afterwards they study it for 15 years and they publish papers and all sorts of things. It's okay. You know, they can be brought in as an expert witness in a case. You can call them an expert. It's okay. You know, so it's the same thing um, as it pertains to understanding um, some of the modern day or ancient uh, conceptions that we may hold about, uh, Kibalonic people and, and even, uh, people who would be considered Aryan people, um, and the decimation of certain Kibalonic or African and, and Afro-Hebrew civilizations. Um, you study it long enough, you do become an expert, you know, you, you find that you don't have to dig in as much, but in, in the beginning, yeah, you got to go to school. You have to go to school. So I, I figured I would share because uh, not wanting to make the assumption that everybody has, you know, read the um, conscious starter pack. I don't know if everyone got their, their little gift bag, you know, but because um, as time goes and generations go, you know, sometimes as we get older and we get ingrained in certain things, we make assumptions that we shouldn't. And this, that's what leads to misunderstandings. You know, we just assume that you should know better. You should know this, you know, not realizing that, um, sometimes the information that we may be referencing 
again, as we get older, we came across 20, 25 years ago, and you're trying to have a discussion with someone who's 30, 35, and you were studying this thing and understanding it when this person was 10, you know? So, um, yeah, it's, it's important sometimes to share in that way. But I, you know, like I said, I just thought about the, the decimation of certain civilizations and how the decimation became the development of certain philosophies and pseudoscience that began to espouse that a Kibalonic people were not necessarily human or that they contributed to, you know, that they had any sort of civilization and, um, and this sort of, um, distorted worldview. There were people who went out, Aryans in, in particular, who then decided to proclaim that the greatness of a Kibalonic or African civilization was a part of their own history while at the same time dismissing and deleting and denying um, their their African origins, you know, or even the presence of Africa. So um, there were certain texts that I pulled out that help in terms of debunking that way of thinking and those myths that were fabricated by certain people and help to, at least for me, help to establish a better truth of the or- origins of myself and of those civilizations and um, where the benefit of that Aryan worldview, where it came from, where it der- derived from, you know. So I figured I would share some of those those things, and it may help you to even put certain psychopathic behavior in a better light. You know, so one of the ones I pulled out here was um, uh, African World Revolution, Africans at the Crossroads. This was um, by John Henry Clark. And um, it was it was it's, it's a good book. You know, it, it speaks about the global significance of, of Africa and, um, you know, how uh People who you would consider to be Europeans, uh, played it, played a role in, in shaping world history, history that was already there, but sort of reshaping it. And, uh, you know, it, it just shows how there have been contemporary battles, if you will, to reclaim ancient Kemet and put it in its right place as far as, um, history would, would serve it. So that's an excellent work, you know, African World Revolution, Africans at the Crossroads, you know. And for some of you, you might have read all of these, you know. Um, there's a whole bunch more, but these are like just your, your early stepping stones that you can dig into. In particular, you know, I would say like if you're myth busting and I'll get into why that's important, because you might say like, yeah, but you talk about Hebrew stuff and. Kabbalah and the Yoruba stuff and the Grecian stuff, anything about African stuff, you know, talk about a lot of stuff, but sometimes you don't have the time <laughs> to show people how, um, they're all connected or how, um, 
I'm talking, but what's the mission? I could talk about apples, you know. I did one segment where I was talking about health things and plastics and different things that are, you know, the dangers of cooking your foods at, at high temperatures. What does that have to do with, you know, but when you understand the vision, then you understand like, oh, all these things are a part of it. It's not just, you know, like when people say, well, what book did you get this from? Man, I wish, I wish I could have just read one book. Whew. Imagine that. I mean, just in the money I would have saved, you know, in buying books. <laughs> now it's it's different. You can download so many different things and, and stuff. But there was a time that that didn't exist, man. The, the download was like asking somebody to borrow the book or or swiping something out of the library. I'm not going to lie. I def- definitely did that back in the day. Certain books, you know, because back then you had like the... Um, you had to sign for it, not look at the signatures. I'd be like, man, I'm the only one who takes this book out. Man, I'm taking this. <laughs> you know? They won't even miss this. I mean, I'm not advocating you do that, but you know, that was, that was the only download, man. But now it's, it's so much easier, which unfortunately can create a new level of, of confusion. But anyway, um, another text here is, um, intellectual warfare. It's a really good one by um, Jacob Carruthers. So if you get a chance, definitely you'd want to check out out that. And and this book really kind of it builds on the work of Dr. Clark, actually, you know, and it and it kind of it it does a really good job at identifying like who the players were or are in the fraud. And again, it it and um not just in terms of like Euros or Aryans, but also those who consider themselves to be African scholars, you know, like, you know, and, and I think nowadays that's more important more than ever because there's so many phony phonies that are out here, you know, so it really gets into understanding the problems with some of the pseudoscience that's perpetuated about ancient Kemet and ancient Greece and, and things like that. So, um, Jacob Carruthers, that's a, you know, intellectual warfare is definitely one that, um, I know when I, I first read it, I, I got a lot out of, out of this one. Um, another good one is Return to the African Mother Principle of Male and Female Equality by Obatashaka. So this book, it kind of speaks about, um, the platform for how you would put together society, you know, and it kind of takes you through just like the, the the distinctions between Western thought and original thought. So you can kind of see how the Western thought really does not have the capacity, if you will, to produce a just society based up, based upon um, their way of thinking. You know, whereas like um, Obatashaka like pulls from Dogon thinking and, and comedic thinking as well. And, you know, obviously there's, um, well, I don't say obviously I'm looking at the cover. You can't see the cover, but, um, he pulls from Ma'at as well and uses Ma'at as kind of like, um, a, um, a reference for truth or, or a reference for rightness, but then also deals into a saw and set as a model of government, you know, so, that's one that I would definitely 
say, yeah, you could probably get a lot of that. Another one is by uh, Wayne Chandler, um, Ancient Future. And that's the teachings and the prophet. Well, the, the subtitle is the teachings and prophetic wisdom of the seven hermetic laws of ancient Egypt. Uh, ancient future is a book I love, man. I, you know, it's, um, yeah, Wayne Chandler definitely did his thing. You know, he was assistant to Asher Hilliard. So, you know, he came under genius teaching, you know, but, um, yeah, ancient future, he just kind of gets into, um, some of the mythological traditions, you know, dealing with Tahuti and some of those figures, but also he, he does a really good job at analyzing the nature of creation and the nature of the universe and, and takes entities like Tahuti, um, just from a mythological, mythological perspective and makes it more digestible if you will, more, more comprehensible. Um, so ancient future, like you, there's no way you would like, you can't go wrong, <laughs> you know, um, you can't go wrong with, with ancient future by Wayne Chandler. So that was one that was really good. Also, um, the psychopathic racial personality by Bobby Wright. That's a really good one to check out, you know, um, this book, it was what I liked about it. I remember when I read it, it's, it's like a book review. I could have did like, this could be a blog post, but, uh, <laughs> this book was really good because it, it was simple. You know, like it's a really simple way that he wrote it and it really gets into, um, the relationship between the children of slaves, if you will, or enslaved people. And their former masters and some of the psychopathic behaviors that it, that exist and that are underlying and some of those things that some of those proclivity proclivities that would we maybe consider biologically transmitted, you know, um, so it gets into, I guess we could say like um, evolutionary theory, if, if you will, you know, but again, he does it in a, in a really simple way and. You know, he really stresses on, you know, how like psychopathic behavior is worth studying. You know, it's something that that should study, should be studied. And it's the only way to address racism, especially when you look at the the properties of psychopathic racism that have been engendered by the children of these slaves or what we would say black people or Negroes or Moorish people, you know, so you want that. Uh, another good classic here. I think I have like four copies of this actually and some out there that have been vicked, I guess, karma from the library. Uh, the ISIS papers, keys to the colors. My, um, that's Francis Cresswell saying. And, um, ISIS papers is like, you know, it's, it's a, it's an old classic. Uh, I feel like I've maybe referenced it before. I don't know, but. You know, um, Dr. Welsing, she gets in like to, into the psychoanalysis of, uh, Eurocentric behavior as it, when it expresses itself in a pathological manner, you know, and it, and that sort of pathological preoccupation it has with, um, perceiving its, the necessity of its survival, you know, or the survival or genetic survival as she speaks about a lot and how 
that need for genetic survival and the preoccupation with with its own race then leads to genocidal wars and um, certain aggressions against uh, people of color. You know, so, um, yeah, man, the, the ISIS papers, another classic, another sister, Urugu. I know I've mentioned this book before um, by, by Marimba Ani. Uh, another one you really can't go wrong. You know, it's kind of an, an, a, a really good examination of, uh, <laughs> I would say, uh, Aryan and, you know, and when I'm saying Aryan, I'm not really saying the original, because Aryan encompasses, you know, um, large groups of people. It's not what fake Aryans tell you. You know, Aryans could be Europeans. Aryans could be Arabs. Aryans could be Asians. Those are typically your, your Aryan groups, Arabs, Asians, Europeans. But the Arab one is tricky because you have Hamitic Arabs, you know. So when you say Arab, it's not really a race. Arab comes from Arid, where you get Aryan. Aryan and Arab really are the same root. And then there's a deeper root with that, that er, er. It comes from that er. You know, the Hebrew, the light, but uh, maybe I'll address that. But either way. So, um, yeah, this book here, Urugu, it's it's really good because it speaks about the political aspects and the intellectual imperialism that um, some of the European groups kind of wage and the psychological rape and some of the, you know, the economic exploitations that have happened against uh European people and 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 the the need to kind of um constantly proclaim superiority and where that comes from. Um that's where you when you read Urugu, you start to get the understanding of like a soulless human and the person who kind of has no identification or chooses not to identify with anything that is life bringing, anything that is natural. Um, but you know, just a, a group that constantly sees themselves at war and they're just like intent on conquering nature, conquering other people and dominating everything, you know? So Urugu is like really a really good, um, uh, a really good text to check out for that. Um, let me see. What else? I guess. Um, oh, yeah, it's right here. Miseducation of the Negro. You, you can't, can't leave that out. <laughs> 1933 Carter G. Woodson. Uh, Miseducation of the Negro. I, I quoted Miseducation of the Negro in, I think the compass, that book. Um, but yeah, man, that, that really good work when you start to deal with, um, uh, educational systems, you know, and European educational systems, American educational systems, and, um, the, the antiquated way that certain people have put themselves in position to make you think that, that you need them, you know, so it's really like, a call for self-examination. It's a call for communal examination. Um, and for us to really look at the things that we deem to be accept- acceptable that we've been trained by, the things that we accept, the servitude that we accept, the domination that we accept by alien groups. So this is like, um, miseducation of the Negro is like a foundational work. You, you need it. You know, you need it. And, 
And uh, it's like the souls of black folk, you know, W W E B Du Bois. It's like you need that book, you know. Um, another one is SBA, which is um, uh, the reawakening of the African mind. Very important book by uh, Dr. Hilliard, Asa Hilliard. I, I mentioned him earlier. And that this book like deals with um, looking at like our infrastructure, and our superstructures that that we have in terms of community building, um, the things that we've created for our communities that really serve our oppressors more than liberate us. You know, um, sometimes you've heard me talk about things like, yeah, when we talk about getting free, we just pretty much want a black version. <laughs> you know, we want black Wall Street. You know, we want a black version of everything white, essentially. And some of this thinking or a lot of it is, is not only flawed, obviously, but it creates new right, new, new kinds of crisis that we we're constantly going from crisis to crisis with what we're trying to build because we haven't built with any real introspection, you know? So, um, yeah, the re- reawakening of the African mind is really good. If you want to look at like the mentality of a Kibelonic people of the Negro of the Hebrew people, you know, and how we've kind of derailed ourselves from our own quest to for restoration, you know. So it's a really good text for that. Um, oh, another one. Um, this one here. Uh, this one is um, Medo Netir, Divine Speech by Jacob Carruthers. Another really good one. Uh, I, I probably could have mentioned that with the other Jacob Carruthers, but. Yeah, man, it really gets into like more scientific explorations of African identity. And again, the themes that, um, we can use to critique and judge what we would consider to be our modern scientists and modern philosophers and African philosophers of that. So it's really cool. You know, Metonetir, divine speech, it goes into some really good philosophical inquiry on uh, a lot of different subjects. So I would say, yeah, you definitely want that. Oh, and another one, yeah, because this brother, we've done a lot of work on stages together. Um, Malefe Asante, um, Kemet Afrocentricity and Knowledge. It's a pretty good one, too, actually. I think he gave me this one. I don't remember. But, um, yeah, this one is is a good, like, Entry level, it, it speaks about, um, cultural pluralism, if you will, and how we kind of have to unlock our minds, um, in order to, to accept certain things and to expand our consciousness and, you know, kind of what's needed to overthrow, um, sort of narrow views and to overthrow, um, parochialisms and, and, uh, even provincialisms, the things that kind of keep us separated and keep us from transforming our, our human reality. You know, it, it, it's really, it's really good. Like as far as dismantling again, myths again and, um, trying to keeping you trying to, like, I guess I'd say it, this book is good if, like I would say, giving it to a student, like to help to keep you away from a floor perspective. And, and to keep you from engaging in falsehoods that you should be confronting, 
you know, kind of being able to identify truth in a more intelligent way. And unfortunately, yeah, a lot of times it just doesn't happen, you know. Um, yeah, not as much as it should. Yeah, not as much as it should, you know. Um, now, another thing that I do in my studies, like I said, sometimes you're studying just to find one word, right? I read people who um, try to kill me or try to kill my people and speak death into me. So I have a lot of books. Some titles I won't mention because it will probably set off certain certain alarms um, and, and the AI that scours the net for these podcasts and stuff. Um but, you know, I read a lot of quote unquote dark stuff or whatever. I, I won't even say too many different kind of things, but things that you wouldn't expect someone who's about the liberation of melanin dominant people, because I like to understand that the, so the psychopathic mind <laughs> of, of who is against me. So like this book I have here is by, um, Martin Bernal. It's called, um, Black Athena, the Afro Asiatic roots of classical civilization. You know, so this is a, a pretty good one. Um, Again, because you're not just reading for what you agree with. That's dangerous. You know, that, that bias, um, psychology or bias phenomenon. You're, you're trying to, you know, and, and sometimes it's dangerous to do that in the beginning. You know, you might not be ready for that, but that comes with probably maybe a little bit more advanced study with, you know, cause I, I've had people say, well, you say this and then you said this. I'm confused, you know. So then you just stay over here, <laughs> you know, but when you want to go a little deeper, it's good to definitely, um, read those who may agree, you know, um, you know, in this particular book, I remember it's, it's disingenuous, you know, and he tries to really, um, kind of remove Africa from Africans you know, and even his, like his perspective on, or what he's sharing about, um, the African, uh, ties and origins to Greek and Roman civilizations. But he's constantly interjecting these Semitic co-founders to these civilizations, which that doesn't, that doesn't make sense. But again, you have to understand when certain people say Semitic, like what they're really saying, you know, they're not necessarily saying the truth, the true Shemites. You know, um, and Sheikh Anta Diop, you know, like really breaks apart a, a book like this, but it's, it's still good to, to understand, you know, so that's one. And then, um, <laughs> Mary, Mary Lefkowitz. Yeah. She's another, she's a trip, man. Um, but she, her book is, um, not out of Africa, not out of Africa, you know, and she kind of, What's the subtitle? How Afrocentrism became an excuse to teach myth as history. So this one, I, I actually like this book, you know, because again, it gives you a lot of quick, um, not quick, but you get a lot of like that mind, that thinking. So, you know, when you're reading it, a book, it gives you an opportunity to confront it and disprove it with what you may know. And sometimes we don't do so well with that on the spot. So it gives you that psychopathic, you know, pathology, like right in the beginning. And she's clearly very ignorant of not only African history, but classical European history as well. Um, and she kind of just 
puts forth assertions that anything that an Aryan says is just true and constantly dismisses um, without any facts, without any proof, claims that African people have made to their own civilization. So it's almost like a clannish type of rant, <laughs> you know. Um, but yeah, not out of Africa. And um, and then she wrote Black Athena Revisited. She actually did a, a another version of it. Um, I also have that here too, you know. And she kind of really speaks about how... Um, Egyptian culture was monolithic and it was, um, it was homogenous with, um, other Western contemporaries and, you know, that those, but the, but the Egyptian cultural traits didn't travel, you know, and really it's just a slick way to kind of say like, um, the people of today can't lay, or the black people, let me use these terms, black people of today can't lay, can't lay claims to any of that. Because primarily what you see in ancient Kemet, or even with ancient black people, was the effect of the influence that Greek, Greece and Rome had over that place. So it's like, you know, she's a pseudo scholar, <laughs> you know, and her job is to assassinate the character of anyone who would, um, ever even try to suggest that Kemet had something to do with black people um, or even with Greece and Rome, unless it was ancient blacks being enslaved by Grecians and Romans, you know, in Romans, excuse me. So yeah, those, I would say those, those, those texts, how many I have here? Um, three, four, five, six, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, I'll give you 14. Um, my 14 always, <laughs> yeah, so these 14, I would say they're, they're a good, um, yeah, they're, they're a good foundation, you know, for like anybody who may get a little confused at times too, like, you know, when, you know, again, like I said, when certain assumptions are made in regards to the history and the understanding, uh, or the, the, the African, I'm, I'm gonna use that word. Is sort of the African understanding when people are speaking about the dominion of these ancient Kushites and, and ancient Ethiopians and, you know, and you might not, maybe you've never re- even saw the, the term Kush or Ethiopia mentioned outside of the Bible. You know, these are, these are good books to kind of um, give you a solid grounding so you don't always feel like every time there's something's being spoken about that there's an earthquake. <laughs> You know, underneath your feet, you know, you can sort of catch up, you know, but it's, it's important to understand these different ways of thinking and the different civilizations that are outlined. Um, it helps you again to understand your placement today, you know, and how one people became another people, you know, or, and when I say another people or identified as another people and just understanding that some of the, um, claims are not accidental. You know, some of this stuff is like genuine fraud. You know, some of the things that we have been taught and we have been raised up to, to understand that it's really been done to destroy a certain people. You know, um, you know, it's, it's important when you understand, like, when you hear terms like 
Hebrew or hear terms like Jew or hear terms like more or Negro. These are all terms that you've heard me use, and I use a lot of them interchangeably, but how do they connect? Oh, you know, there's another resource. Um, this one's a person. <laughs> I didn't even, I didn't even speak to him first, but I think, I think he'll be cool with it. He's, he's a good brother. Um, so you heard me speak about, um, I want to say it was our, our last segment, right? And I spoke about the, uh, the woman king, right? And again, to reiterate, I'm not saying don't go see it. You want to go see it? Go see it. You know, but, um, in, in all things have wisdom, you know, and go in knowing what, what you're looking at. But there's a good brother and he follows the segments and stuff. He, he reaches out periodically to say thank you, which is, which is real cool. Um, Adika, Adika Butler is his, is his full name. I'm only saying his first and last name because that's his, um, social media handle. Well, the thing is he wrote a book, um, on Dahomey. It's called The Homie from Dahomey. The Homie from Dahomey. Alright. <laughs> you know, cool, cool, cool title. Or is it, is it, no, it is, it is the homie and the homie or the homie, the homie. I don't know. He's got t-shirts called the homie. Don't the book is not, the, I'm sorry. The book is the homie and modern the homie, right? The homie and modern the homie. You, you, you get what I'm saying? Like, yo, he's the homie, like the homeboy. He's the homie. So the book is the homie in modern the homie. The place. Right. I, I got it right the last time. <laughs> but yeah. So I would say like for some of the things that I shared about the woman king, you know, for anyone who felt um like, man, I, I could use some more on that, like some more information or whatever. I would I would suggest not only you get a copy of his book, but reach out to him on social media. Um, tell him I sent you, you know, cause he's like, where's this coming from? I didn't, I didn't even speak to him, but he might hear this segment. Um, he probably will hear it and he'll, he'll understand it, but you know, get a copy of his book. I know on his social media, I don't think he has it on Amazon. I could be mistaken. In fact, I could check right now. Um, but, uh, I'm gonna check on Amazon. But I, I do know he's got physical copies in different show, in different stores and stuff like that. So, um, and Adika's the type of like, I'll go to the post office, mail it to you, brother. I, I suspect it's, yeah, he's not on Amazon. So, which is great. Cause Amazon, you don't get any money from what you sell as far as your books. You know, that, that 35 cents they paying me for per book and you ain't really saying nothing. But, um, yeah, if you, if you, you know, when you selling, if you're willing to put the footwork in, man, and, and deliver your product and, um, ship your product, your product is so much better. Um, but anyway, that's, we have a conversation about publishing another time, but yeah, man, check them out. Adika Butler. Oh, let me spell it. A D I K A A D I K A B U T L E R. So his name is A D I K A B U T L E R. And that's just for the Dahomey stuff, because I had given some information and someone did share with me. It was like, man, I didn't know that stuff. I didn't know they were slavers and stuff like it's so much more. And I mean, you know, again, a lot of times we have these romanticized sort of ideas about 
um, what happened on the continent. And a lot of it sometimes has nothing to do with us. <laughs> you know, it's like, but we just take this all embracing approach whenever we hear something we think is cool. Yeah, that's our ancestors. Maybe not. It may have nothing to do with you. So yeah, that's something I wanted to throw out there as a resource. You know, check out his book. But reach out to him on social media. I know he's on Instagram. He's probably other places too. Um, Mind Glow Books. I feel like that's his, uh, if I'm not mistaken, I think that's his website. Mind Glow Books. So I could be wrong, but check it out. But anyway, yeah, so check Adika for some more of the Dahomey stuff. It's cool, brother, too. You know, good, good energy, good, good vibe. You know, um, but yeah, I was just saying, it's important to kind of um understand a lot of these things because they they are respected you know in terms of um when when you're going through your study you'll find that um these things they they become a reward learning these different cultures learning these different ways of thinking and you know like I said if you hear me talk about the Moors and you're like but the Moors a lot of people say other they was Muslims you know, and sometimes people get caught up even in that, like the, the idea of a Muslim versus a Hebrew and not realizing, first of all, you talk about cousins, but how closely related, you know, the, the two are in, in that sense. So there's so much to learn, you know, um, or even understanding Hamites. There are so many people I know who, stand on the Hebrew flag and they just like, well, those are Hamites and don't, you know, they don't really understand. Like they get caught up more in the mythology of things and just that one book. And it's understood that, um, I mean, it's understood everywhere that, you know, the Kimites or what you would call Egyptians, they descend from, from him. You know, that's, that's, that's not hard to figure out. That's not, you know, like, ground shattering information, but there's so much to it, you know, like even when you place the Hamites, you know, um, and understanding that they were in the Asiatic lands, you know, or what we say they were, they were eastward in the Asiatic lands, which is really somewhat outside of what we consider to be Africa. You know, I've said this so many times, like Everybody, everything didn't originate on that continent. You know, first of all, these, it was connected at one point, but you can even find that information in the Bible. You know, um, it's understood that the Hamites or Ham, uh, lived or inhabited the border of Canaan at one point, you know, and like when you read, um, First uh, Kings four thirty eight through forty. I'm gonna read it. Let me pull it up. Yeah, not. I'm sorry. First Chronicles four thirty eight through forty. Not Kings. These mentioned by their names were princes in their families, and the house of their fathers increased greatly, and they went to the entrance of Gedor even unto the east side of the valley to seek pasture for their flocks. And they found fat pasture and good, and the land was wide and quiet and peaceable. For they of 
him had dwelt there of old. See, the significance there is like dwelt there of of old, right? And that kind of was like also hint like the people you may find there now are not the people who were there, who were there before. You know, the people who were there in antiquity, their father was him. And, um, yeah, there was all kind of ingenuity that they were able to bring forth and force all sort of wisdom. And, you know, um, even Herodotus, you know, the, 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 um, ancient historian at that time, you know, that area was known as ancient Canaan, but, you know, Herodotus said Hemeth was built and inhabited by Hamathites, Canaanites and Ethiopians, you know, so um you can find that information another great book um the wonderful ethiopians of the ancient uh kushite empire um but that spoke about how in that particular book how the canaanites called themselves kushites you know the, the names are so important because you you're able to make the the connections and the hebrew writers at that time gave them also that name, like respected that name and understood that there was a relationship um, between the Kushite tongues, as they called them, and those other what we would call the Indo-European languages, you know. So there was always an understanding that ancient Kushites and the ancient Canaanites, like um, how they were, they were not only... um, a great people, but where they spread out and some texts. And this, this is why I'm saying this is like, sometimes you study 10 books to get one word, <laughs> you know, um, I'm going to show you the word of significance in what I'm saying. So one of the things about, um, and this kind of perplex people, about the ancient or the early Canaanites. Um, and the Greeks called them the Phoenicians, right? Um, even Josephus spoke about them and it said among, we said among almost all which concerns the Greeks happened not long ago. And his implication there was that the current Greeks, we don't really have much of a history, <laughs> you know, like, the, or they don't really have much, much of a history um, but, and he said that, uh, the antiquity of the Phoenicians was as great as that of the Chaldeans and the Egyptians, you know? So this kind of leads you into the understanding of like, um, another great book, old man, Cush, his father, Ham and the ancient land of Canaan. Um, that's another good book that I have, but, um, you know, one of the things that to understand like when you're talking about the ancient Canaanites and you, it, it links you to the, to the Moabites as well. You know, 18, you guys could look up the, the Moabite stone that was found in the 1800s, um, which allowed to, or I should say, which kind of gave a, an account or proved certain biblical stories, even the book of Jeremiah, which is really good because a lot of these books really proved, um, the truth and the reality of, I would say, the dark um, 
presence of the book. You know, um, it's been in, in some of the fraud you can, you can uncover, you know, like even when you look at the, um, being careful what I say, but yet judges three and eight, you know, where it speaks about the dark one of double wickedness. And, and that's supposed to be talking about the skin tone of, of the Cushite. Um, but let's look at the word er. I spent, I, I mentioned it earlier when I was talking about the Aryan or the Arab. And of course, you know, in the Hebrew, we get, um, the term er as meaning flame, which many people will say, you know, light, but it's flame, but it's also luminary or illumination. And the idea there is also of waking, you know, like to, to open up your eyes. I spoke about that recently. Plato's understanding of eyesight was based upon there being fire in the eyes. But yeah, that idea of waking, waking up. And if you look at, um, there was a city of R, R, which was a kind of a, reference to waking up you know so you have the hebrew word ear which is translated or transliterated as city and you know even in the sanskrit you have ur which ur means a town so in the hebrew you have ear which is city transcript i mean sanskrit you have ur which is town and in moabite you have r which means city you know like aryan or aryan ur a R. So in Hebrew, you have the word Uru, Uru, U R U, um, which also is defined as a city. This is where you get Uru Salim, Uru Salim, Uru Salim, you know, which many people will call Jerusalem, you know, which is the oldest city, of course, right? Or known as, um, people call it the oldest city, but more important, more importantly, the city of peace. Um, but the Chaldeans, right? Um, they had a chief city and the chief city, uh, was R, right? And again, the awakening, the, the, you know, and of course in your, your Moab, R, the chief city as of Moab, you know, um, and the Chaldeans, they were, Again, very interesting people. Um, they were, they were out of the mountains of Kurdistan and they were considered to, to be the descendants of the people who were captured by a lot of the, the people or the cities of Mesopotamia. So when you hear like the Ur of the Chaldeans means the chief city or the, the, like the capital. Um, of the ones who capture. This is all important stuff, right? So the Christian writers, they would call the Moorish people of the Northwest and of the South, Southwest of Africa. You know, when, when they came in and they invaded Spain, those Moors, you know what they called them originally? They called them Chaldeans. <laughs> Or some people say Chaldeans. I, I, I guess either one is, is acceptable. Um, but they knew who they were. They knew they were they were of Abrahamic lineage. They called them Chaldeans, you know. And um, there's so much with that. Like 
Dija connection, they were Moors. So the Chaldeans were Moors, right? But one of the things you look at, so that's, that's, that's your key word. R or Ur takes you to Chaldeans. But then I always looked at Ra as well, divine light, right? Ancient Kemet, which, and it's not just the light, but it's the light that the sun produces. So it's fiery light and it's recognized or it's signified with the eye, right? Um, so, I mean, come on, you, you gotta look at R and you gotta look at Ra. You can't ignore the, the proximity of those two terms, R, Ra, Ur, you know, and you start to understand that, um, those ancient Moabites, again, this is their language. They also called themselves Berbers. Um, and the Chaldean word for gathering is Berber. And that means that these are the men who come from what they call the mystical mountain of Meru, you know, and they would gather. And, uh, <laughs> you know, it's where the Moors would receive their, their name, that name from, you know, and, and there's so much, there's, there's so much more we could go into that. But what I just share with you, like people say, like, what book did you read? Just a little bit that I just shared. I, I mean, I don't know. I probably got out of like six or seven different books and I also quoted the Bible and I'm also quoting Herodotus and I'm also quoting Josephus. You know what I mean? Like it's so study becomes like that and you know, do it if you love it, (laughs) you know, you eventually willfully you develop um, a love for, for learning, you know, um, Outside of just like, well, what's it going to give me right now? You know, but you kind of, uh, develop that love and each little detail that you get, you know, when you start to see how it starts to connect and connect and connect and connect, it, it gets a little bit more exciting. You know, like, um, we look at, uh, for instance, there was, um, there was a scholar. Oh man, I can't remember. The, the, the name eludes me right now. It, it'll come to me. Um, but I know, okay, no, no, it was a, it was a woman, Mary, Mary Henrietta Kingsley, Mary Henrietta Kingsley. And she spoke about this, the, the Benin people, the people of Benin being descendants of the Yoruba and the Yoruba, uh, descending from six brothers. They were all six brothers from one mother. That's significant. <laughs> and some of you might have put that together already. And their names were um Ikelu, Egba, Ijebu, Ife, Ibni, where you get Benin and Yoruba. I remember singing these songs in the shrine. I noticed this information. But um spoke about how the Yoruba tribe are descended from the children of Canaan, who were the tribe of Nimrod. Right? It it, it runs into each other, you know. Um, and I know it sounds like, man, there's so many tribes and you're speaking about Moabites or you're speaking about one people or you know, um, even the place like Morocco. Morocco was originally called, well, not originally, but earlier was called Marab, you know, um, 
Canaanite people. You know, it, like I said, it, it, it can go, it can go on and on and on and on and on and on. But, um, you read all these different texts and you find the connections and that's where your flow comes from. So when people are like, man, you know all this stuff and you just flowing with the information. Yeah, man, it's a lot of work. <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of work and, you know, you, hopefully you're not reading it just to seem clever to people or studying just to seem clever. But sometimes you're just looking for one word. You might just be trying to connect er with R with Ra or trying to connect the Chaldeans. Who the heck were these Chaldeans and their connect? What was their connection to Ur? And were they connected to the Canaanites and were they connected to the Moors and were they connected with to the Yoruba? Am I connected to the Yoruba? You know, um, because we're talking about Hebraic people here. But they were Moors. So that means Moors were Hebrews and Hebrews were Moors. Oh, my goodness. You know. But you might just be looking for one word, <laughs> you know. But, yeah, so that's what I wanted to pull you in to tonight, you know. Um, and some of that teaching and just understanding, you know, how sometimes you you can break down certain things. And, it, you know, um, you're looking for something. Um, further and um, it's a process it's a process that you don't want to disrespect it's a process that you don't want to rush because it's it's such a beautiful journey when you're expanding the mind in this sort of way and you begin to learn how to pull from your sources and and um, rise up against the the programming and and take a certain sort of even dramatic license when you're sh- when you're resharing because now you're able to own what it is you know you you learn terms like terms like barbarians and you learn terms like moors and pagans and uh hagarines ishmaelites chaldeans moabites amorites you know um saracens these are all important terms you know um, so yeah, I urge you, you know, play with those 14 books that, um, I shared with you and, you know, definitely share, you know, you could always comment on the videos and things like that. Definitely share what it is that you're receiving. Um, you could comment, um, on the, on the reviews, iTunes reviews, you know, and definitely share what you're getting, you know, and, um, things like that because, um, there's so much beautiful information. I'm just looking as I'm, I'm thumbing through my, my book here. Jeremiah 48 and 2. There shall be no praise of Moab and Heshbon. They have devised evil against it. Come and let us cut off, cut it off from being a nation and thou shalt be cut down. O madmen, the sword shall pursue thee. Rough stuff. <laughs> you know, rough stuff. But it's important information. You know, you read the um, Negro uh, Law of the South, Law of South Carolina, excuse me, um, from 1839. You know, it was published in 1848. But first chapter speaks about the status of the Negro, his rights and disabilities. Section four, the term Negro is confined to slave Africans, the ancient Berbers and their descendants. It is not. It does not embrace the free inhabitants of Africa, such as the Egyptians, Moors, or the Negro Asiatics, such as the Lascars. 
That's the Negro Law of South Carolina, Chapter 1, Section 4. The term Negro is confined to slave Africans, the ancient Berbers, and their descendants. It does not embrace the free inhabitants of Africa, such as the Egyptians, Moors, or the Negro Asiatics, and as the last cars. So, yeah, so much to learn, right? But all right, so willfully, um, <laughs> you took some notes on those those texts and, you know, you find one that maybe interests you that you feel like digging in. And uh, if not, hey, somebody will eventually. So it's out there, you know, and uh, maybe periodically I'll share more. I have I have a lot of text and um, beyond foundational. I can, you know, got some stuff that goes deeper and into different areas of, of learning that we that we need, you know, for this journey and for this work. But like I said, you know, definitely please continue to leave reviews um, on iTunes. It really does help the segment. And on the YouTube videos, um, my handle is Chief Yuya as well as Chief Yuya Music. That's Instagram, iTunes, Facebook, um, LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn as well. Yeah, everything I'm, I'm. I'm, I don't stay as current in my posting and stuff, but I'm all over, it. you know, Twitter as well. I'm on Twitter, but yeah, just get in there. <laughs> just follow all of them. Get in there, you know, and definitely subscribe to this podcast, you know, because sometimes things happen like it goes out late at night. You might have thought you missed it, but if you subscribe, you get the notification, you know, when it pops up. So subscription stuff works well for me because sometimes um my timing for posting things can be a little erratic all right so this has been our segment and i thank you all for tuning in and checking it out and sharing some of um my books with me you know and a little bit of my um process all right enjoy yourself be loving be kind be generous help others Peace.